Hey guys, it's your host Sam Thornton. Before this episode begins, I wanted to promote the DL Sports Instagram page. The page has a wide variety of sports content with graphics, reels, highlights, and more. So before this episode begins, what I want you guys to do is go ahead, pull out your phone, and follow the Instagram page at DLSportsCom. That's at DLSportsCom. Thanks, guys, and enjoy the show. On this week's episode of On The Deal Podcast, we have a wild recap of NFL Week 2. So many crazy comebacks and matchups from this week. So many upsets. Also, I'm going to make predictions for the doubleheader of Monday Night Football since I'm recording this on Monday morning. I'm going to present my NFL broadcast rankings, which I'm excited to show you guys. New bit for that. College football week four preview. And to finish up the show, we're also doing a new bit. I'm going to do a trip around the world of sports in five quick minutes. As always, we have lots to cover, so let's not waste any time and jump right into this episode. Welcome to episode number 12 of On The Deal Podcast, and what an absurd Sunday of NFL football. If you're a football fan, this is everything you wanted and more. We had comebacks, upsets, everything you need as a fan right into your bloodstream. And let's begin with Thursday Night Football. Let's get right into these matchups. Chargers at Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. Divisional matchup on Thursday Night Football. Chiefs 27, Chargers 24. Really great game here. Highly anticipated matchup between two of the young stud quarterbacks in the NFL. Back and forth game. Two of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL in Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. What sealed this game for the Chiefs was a 99-yard pick six off Justin Herbert as the Chargers were marching down the field late in this game. 99-yard touchdown by Jalen Watson at the goal line to pick off one of the NFL's best QBs, one of the most accurate passers in the game. What's crazy about this though, not some normal pick six, a rags to riches story for Jalen Watson, who was a seventh round draft pick just a few years ago, was working at a Wendy's restaurant alongside his mother. Those are the kinds of stories you absolutely love to hear about. The series after that interception by Herbert, Chargers were down driving the field. Herbert got absolutely drilled by a hit and left the field holding his rib area tenderly. People were very nervous about that, especially if you're a Los Angeles fan. You were definitely holding your breath. But literally after sitting out one play out the sideline, he comes back in the game. And on the next series, he throws an absolute rope of a pass 30 yards down the field on fourth down. I'm pretty sure it was a fourth and four situation near the 45-yard line. And it set up another touchdown for the Los Angeles Chargers. But unfortunately, it was too little too late for them. And they fall to the Chiefs. 27-24. The thing is, the Chargers were controlling this game early on, especially in the first quarter. No Keenan Allen, no Keenan Allen. Absence of Keenan Allen meant that Mike Williams, Clemson product, had to step up, and he was going absolutely ballistic with these plays. He was catching every single ball, getting targeted by Justin Herbert almost every single play, but none of that matters when Patrick Mahomes is on the other side and his offense begins to click. Once his game management skills are clocked in and ready to take off, I mean, that's an elite attribute that he has. And that's you're going to lose that game every single time. 
There's there's no coming back from that. I don't care who you are. Justin Herbert is a solidified young quarterback in this league. He's an elite quarterback in this league, but he's not to the level where Patrick Mahomes is, and that's what prompted them to win this game in the end. Very excited to see more of these teams, especially in the future. We know we're going to get another matchup with them in L.A. because they're divisional rivals. And coming into the season, we knew it was Chiefs or Chargers. One of those two was probably going to take the AFC West. As we know right now, the Broncos and the Raiders are both struggling to start this year. Raiders are 0-2. Broncos are 1-1. Honestly should be 0-2, barely escaping against the Houston Texans this week. We'll get to that game later. But the AFC West looks like it will come down to these two teams. So very excited to see more of them in the future. Moving on to the Sunday slate of games. And let's begin with the best game of the day. It is Ravens and Dolphins. Dolphins 42, Ravens 38. Tua Anon is very much alive. What a game this was. The Dolphins and Tua Tagovailoa score 28 points in the fourth quarter to come back and win this game. Tua Tagovailoa stat line. 36 for 50. Yes, he threw 50 passes in this game. 469 yards, six touchdowns, and two interceptions. If you heard that post-game interview with Tyree Kill at the end of the game, he took the words out of everyone's mouth. If you're still a hater by now, you need to hop on the wagon while there's still some room. And I'll have to admit, I was never a hater of Tua, but I was also never on Tua and on. I was always in between. I'm man enough to admit that I certainly had questions about his production, about his health. If he could stay healthy, if he could utilize these weapons that he has now with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. We know that connection was born there in Alabama with Jalen Waddle. But I was never completely, completely sold on him. And now, after watching that fourth quarter comeback, I don't think there's any question in the air for any Tua hater out there. I think we know what he's capable of on a weekly basis. Now the Dolphins are 2-0. I even said on this podcast that the Dolphins could possibly start this season 0-4. I was completely wrong. Totally wrong about that take. I seriously believe that the Dolphins can compete with the Buffalo Bills for the AFC East. And I think they can compete for the AFC Championship crown in general. And let me tell you why. Lamar Jackson played the best game of his career on Sunday or nearly a perfect game on Sunday. One of the best games of his career. He played outstanding, and there was nothing else that you could have done to win this game for your team if you're Lamar Jackson. The fault clearly falls on the defense of the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, 42 points. And like I said already, 28 points in the fourth quarter. It sounds so easy to point out the obvious there, but it really is not that simple when you have two guys in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, two of the fastest receivers in the league, on the same receiving core, Tyree Kill had two touchdowns, 190 yards. Waddle, two touchdowns, 171 yards. Also had the game-winning touchdown. I mean, a duo like that is ridiculous. They can spread out the coverage so easily and so significantly with their natural speed that you, I know it's a tall task to ask for, but you have to do better than 42 points if you want to win a football game. You think about the Ravens historically. They're supposed to have a stout defense. AFC North, supposed to have a stout defense. When you think about how the Dolphins match up top to bottom with that team, they completely burned them. And let's transition to focusing on another team. When you think about how the Dolphins match up top to bottom with the Buffalo Bills, you can argue 
after that performance on Sunday that Waddle and Hill are just as explosive and a significant duo as Diggs and Gabriel Davis after a performance like that. And when you look at Tua Tagovailoa in this form, it's just as comparable to the Buffalo Bills quarterback and Josh Allen at some points. I'm not saying that Josh Allen and Tua Tagovailoa are on the same level, but when you throw for 470 yards, six touchdowns, you know what your ceiling is. I will still give the edge to the Buffalo Bills for now due to their defensive unit. I mean, you really can't erase the fact that the Dolphins gave up 38 points today, 38 points on Sunday, but they did clamp up in the fourth quarter, only allowing three points as Lamar was having a career day. So props to the defensive unit there. Xavion Howard and company coming through in the fourth quarter. And as I'm speaking about this, I'm realizing that the Bills are visiting the Dolphins in Miami next Sunday. So what a game that will be as we're talking about comparing those two teams. And already early on in the season, there's going to be significant implications on this game based on the fact that both these teams will be undefeated when they meet on Sunday. Let's go to an NFC South matchup. We have the Bucks and the Saints. Very sloppy game, top to bottom here. Overall, it was like 3-3 three to three the entire game. But Tom Brady finally breaks the Saints curse, and the Bucks win the game 20-10 to 10 over the New Orleans Saints. They are now 2-0, which seems odd because I feel like they've gotten the benefit of the doubt in their first two games with Dak going down and then Mike Evans and Lattimore getting ejections during the game against the Saints. Just a very chippy game. It seemed like it was 3-3 three to three the entire game, like I just alluded to. Brady was constantly frustrated with his team, throwing tablets on the sidelines, screaming at his offensive unit during the huddles in the second half. But, I mean, great players, they find a way to win somehow. And with the help of Jameis Winston, who had three interceptions on the day, and honestly, that was, that was really the underlining story of this game. The Bucks did the bare minimum to win this game. And when Jameis drove down the field in the second half, he would throw it away almost every single drive. So, I mean, there's really not much more you can ask for if you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You definitely got a little bit lucky here. Both teams definitely did not play their best game, but you just got to find a way to win somehow. Two games in for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and I'm just curious about this Tampa Bay team. I think that they will end up being one of the better teams in the NFL, maybe even one of the elite teams in the NFL when it's all said and done at the end of the year. We know right now that they're banged up on the offensive line and the receiver slot. We finally saw to, on Sunday that there were some problems at the center position with snapping the ball. Ryan Jensen, we know that's a big loss for them. I think it'll just be a year of patience for this team. But hopefully by the middle of the season, they can start clicking on all cylinders because you don't want to wait until week 15 to start picking up the pace. Once you get to around week 12, around December, that's when you can start picking it up, maybe mid-November. But you don't want to wait all the way until January 1st or December 31st, whatever the case might be. And breaking news, as I'm recording this just now, Cole Beasley will be joining the Bucks as a practice player, but he will be on the active roster as time progresses. Just saw this notification on my phone from ESPN. We know him as a slot receiver from the Bills, but I believe he was not re-signed due to his vaccine status and other controversial uh, statements surrounding COVID-19. Seemed like he was maybe a distraction for the Bills. Honestly, 
Very underrated player. Good slot receiver. He's exactly the kind of gamer that Tom Brady needs, especially now with Mike Evans suspended for one game due to that scrum with Lattimore. So could be a good pickup for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers moving forward. Jets visiting the Browns. This was another wild finish. This was crazy. The Jets edge out the Browns 31-30. to I mean, I don't have much to say on this one other than when I saw the Jets score a touchdown with a minute 20 left in the game on red zone, it looked like something was up. I mean, there was no effort from the Browns to stop that touchdown from happening, which put them down by one score. And Joe Flacco, is he elite once again? He looked like 2013 Joe Flacco in this game. And Garrett Wilson, I mean, psh, this guy, this kid is legit. He's an absolute stud. We knew he was... We knew the numbers and, 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 and the player who he was in college at Ohio State, even in high school. We knew that he was a stud, but wow, he puts up 30 fantasy points against the Browns in week two of his rookie season. Definitely not going to keep him on my bench for much longer. They get the onside kick. They drive down the field with ease, and Cleveland gets absolutely shocked in this one. When you look at that final touchdown play, I mean... The Cleveland safeties on that game-winning pass to Wilson were playing so up. They were pinched so upwards, playing so soft in the middle of the field. They seemed to be shocked that this game was still up in the air. The Browns were completely shell-shocked at the situation that had just occurred. Didn't even know what hit them. Browns completely give this one away. One thing I learned from this weekend was that the game is never over, and in the NFL, only a couple plays can really change things so fast. All right, now let's address the worst team in the NFL, and I am man enough to admit that the Carolina Panthers fall to the New York Giants 19-16 at MetLife Stadium. I'm being completely honest when I say that the Panthers are the worst team in the NFL. In this week's power rankings, whatever power rank, it doesn't matter which news outlet is going to put them out, they are going to be dead last in almost every single one of them. Rock bottom. Rock bottom. They are at the very bottom of this league. And can we please just fire Matt Rule already? Can we please just do that? This made no sense to me. The Panthers were driving down the field with a little over, I think it was two minutes left in the game, faced with a fourth down on their own end. You get, I understand you get sacked on third down, you know the odds are against you in that point. But why are you electing to punt? He Matt Rule elects to punt, wants to give the defense a chance to get a stop. And why would you do that when they've been struggling like they have early on in the season? It makes absolutely no sense. Put trust in the quarterback you went out and got to make a play for you. And instead, you punt it away. And all I could say in that moment was, what the hell are we doing? You're on a game-winning drive right now. You're not going to get the ball back. Why are you putting trust in them? This guy has to head out the door. Nebraska could take him away for all we care. We have, we have no worries about that. Here's a couple Matt Rule stats for you. Matt Rule, as the Carolina Panthers head coach, is 10-25. and 25, And currently, the Panthers had the longest active losing streak in the NFL. Matt Rule is the head coach of the Carolina Panthers. 1-24 under him when allowing 17 or more points. Along with that, Worst winning percentage in NFL history, NFL history by a head coach with at least 35 games under their belt. He is officially the best of the worst. And if this doesn't tell you something, then I'm not sure what will. When you look up the headlines 
on every single media website, it says how the Panthers became a laughing stock of the NFL, what this loss means for Matt Rule's future, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on and on. It's time for him to move on. And I think a lot of people can agree with me that you don't even have to be a Panthers fan. It's really because of his leadership. The Panthers really did not even play that bad as a whole in this game. McCaffrey had over 100 yards rushing for the first time in forever. And I feel like this team prepares well in practice, but gosh, man, they cannot execute anything for the life of them. And that falls directly into the hands of the head coach. You have to know how to execute. You have to know how to communicate with your offensive and defensive coordinators. Where's the communication? Where's the execution? Next five games for the Carolina Panthers are as follows. And a lot of these are home games. Saints at home, Cardinals at home, 49ers at home, at the Rams in SoFi Stadium, home against the Buccaneers. I think if they lose to the Saints on Sunday, no matter by what the figure is, I think he's going to be gone. And the fans are fed up. That is not an easy five games coming up. I think all those, as of right now, unless something significantly changes, all of those are losses. And the Panthers could very well start the season now 0-7. Quickly on this game, Colts and Jaguars. I cannot believe that the Colts got shut out by the Jags. Jaguars 24, Colts 0. And I think it's almost safe to say that the Colts are frauds. I mean, so many people were putting them up on a pedestal, including myself, for really no reason. I feel like an absolute idiot for predicting that the Colts would win the AFC South. And I mean, I don't know if anyone, this division is wide open. Does anyone have a winning record right now in that, in that division? You have the Colts. They're, they haven't won a game. The Texans, they haven't won a game. They have a tie and a loss. The Jaguars are in first place. They have a win and a loss. And then you have the Titans, who are 0-2. I just find it ironic that the Colts get, they get rid of Carson Wentz to get Matt Ryan, thinking it would make a significant difference, and they got, they got worse. Wentz falls apart at the end of the year against the Jaguars. They don't make the playoffs. And now Matt Ryan gets a goose egg against the same team that sent Wentz out of the door. Jonathan Taylor. We have to hold him we have to hold him accountable too. Where where was he at? Only seven fantasy points. Only seven. Colts defense. Where are you guys at? You're letting twenty four points up against Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. This team has a lot of things to figure out. They are winless on the season after playing the Texans and the Jags in their first two games. I think a lot of people saw that completely flip the other way. I just don't think anyone saw this coming. The Colts they could be in trouble. Another surprising outcome was the Cowboys defeating the Bengals with Cooper Rush leading the Cowboys to a 20-17 to win. I can't believe they won this game. Just as Mauricio and I were talking about the Cowboys on last week's episode of On the DL Podcast, the Bengals, I mean, AFC champions last year. They start the season 0-2, and now they are the first defending AFC champion to start the season 0-2 since 1999 and yes I did think they would take a slight step back I thought they could definitely still contend for the AFC North Division title I thought they would finish second right below the Baltimore Ravens but I didn't know it'd be this significant and maybe they're just figuring things out who knows there could be growing pains who knows we don't know what's going on it's still early on in the season they could still come back from this Trayvon Diggs Brought the pressure to Jamar Chase in this game. 
Jamar Chase only had five catches on the day with zero touchdowns. A little throwback to an Alabama-LSU rivalry of 2019 there. Cooper Rush, now 2-0 as a starter backing up Dak Prescott and the Cowboys and has had two game-winning drives in those games. That's just insane. I don't think anyone saw that coming as well. It shows you the unpredictability of the NFL, especially this weekend. He played a great game, honestly. Got to give him a lot of props for that huge win. Magic number is three wins, like we said last week, while Dak is gone. And that's one of the bank that I did not think they would get. Next week, they have a matchup on Monday night in MetLife Stadium against the 2-0 Giants on the road. So that will be another big test for them on Monday night football in a gritty divisional rivalry. I really don't know what's going to happen there. I really have no idea. But I think that the Giants are riled up. They're, they're, they're honestly rolling right now. I know they beat two of some of the worst teams in the league right now. They, I mean, two wins is two wins. And I think they're going to be at home. They're going to be fired up. And I'm going to predict a Giants win in that one, which would definitely hurt the Cowboys. Who knows? I could be proven wrong once again. Broncos and Texans. All we have to discuss here is Nathaniel Hackett. That's all we have to discuss here. Dude, Nathaniel Hackett. This guy simply cannot make up his mind on what he wants to do on fourth down. We know what happened last game with the controversial field goal call to try to win the game with a, what was it, a, a 63 yarder at Seattle. And now that trend continues into this game. There were numerous delay of game calls. They were flying through their timeouts. And it got to the point where the Broncos fans were counting down the play clock to let the Broncos know what the clock was at. The fans are not happy at all. And there was not only that, but boost from the crowd. And honestly, I don't blame them. You get a rookie head coach, but at the same time, you have Russell Wilson, who at this point in your career, man, you got to be able to manage the game and know what the what to do on the offensive side of the ball. Make a play. You call the shots. If he's not going to call the shots, you got to call it. You're a veteran quarterback. You're one of the best in the game. If he doesn't know what he's doing, you got to step in and say something. It's just crazy to me that this this duo, I understand you're a rookie head coach, but this, the way they're struggling the way they are right now, it's just not, I don't think anyone saw this coming either. Everyone who bet on Russ for MVP, I, good luck. They're going to hope for a miracle because they do not look good right now. They should have lost this game. They gave the Texans way too many chances to win this game. They're lucky they have a solid defense. I know you have examples of other rookie head coaches who started out, you know, think of guys like Kitchens and in Cleveland, he started out poor. I mean, the list goes on and on. You have to make a decision real quick because if this continues in a week six, week seven, week eight, Broncos front office is not going to be happy. Very interesting to see what the Broncos do in the future. I see them figuring things out within the next couple weeks, but you just got to hold your breath if you're a Broncos fan. Finally, we have Sunday Night Football, a classic beatdown of the so-called rivalry between the Bears and the Packers. Packers 27, Bears 10. This was an absolute perfect storm for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he struggles in week one, as we know. He comes home to Green Bay against the Bears, a team that he's owned his entire career. He is just he just has his way with them. He just demolishes them in every form. His receivers came through for him, especially Randall Cobb. I'm not sure how this guy is still 32 years old. I thought he was like 36, to be honest with you. Ever since I started watching NFL, he's always been on the Packers. So 
it's just crazy to me that I, I, we have to get a fact check on that. I don't know how he's 32 years old. They were doing ayahuasca celebrations in the end zone for touchdowns. I mean, if you're a Bears fan, that was bad. That was bad. You were getting embarrassed all night long. It was exactly what the Packers needed, but I'm not going to say they're back just yet. We know what they do every single year against this team. Huge game for them next week in Tampa Bay against Tom Brady and the Bucks. That's a 325 kickoff in Tampa Bay. This will be a significant test for both teams. As we know, the Bucks are banged up and both teams have things to work on. I don't think that it's all sunshine and rainbows for the Packers right now. I think that there's still things they have to figure out. And this could definitely be a playoff matchup, probably will be a playoff matchup. So it's important to see what occurs in this one. Like I said earlier, Mike Evans will not be playing. So I'm not sure what the line is going to be. I think that right now, the Packers probably do have the edge over the Buccaneers simply due to the fact that they had, you know, both these teams. We, we, we know that the Buccaneers are 2-0, but that game against the Bears really helped them out in terms of figuring each other out, trusting each other. They needed a game like that to just roll, roll things out, roll things out, get things going. So right now I'm going to give the edge to the Packers slightly. If they were plus money, I think that if I had to guess the line right now, uh, I would probably say that the Bucks are favored by one or one and a half simply due to the fact that they're at home. So look into that, but that should be a great matchup next week in Tampa Bay. Okay, so I'm recording this on Monday morning, so I'm going to predict what happens in tonight's doubleheader. Let's start with Bills and Titans. I think that the Bills are going to blow them out. I know that the Titans have this demeanor about them that helps them play up to their opponent's level. They always do this. They always prove us wrong. We know last season the Titans beat the Bills on Monday Night Football in Nashville, but I think this Titans team has gone significantly worse since last season. After week one, I'm concerned about Derrick Henry's durability since he's getting older, and the hype of the Bills in Buffalo is absolutely there, so I'm going to predict a 25-7 victory for the Buffalo Bills. I could see this game being blown up relatively early in the first half, especially due to the fact that the Titans' secondary is suspect, definitely the worst part of their defensive core, their defensive unit, and just the fact that Stephon Diggs, we know Gabe Davis is going to be out, He's just legitimate. That duo between him and Allen is going to be electric again this year. I think he's going to be taking early shots in and down the field to break this ice in this game. I think that the Buffalo D-line will continue to be great, perhaps even more significant against the Titans O-line than they were against the Rams. I feel great about the Bills tonight, so 25-7 to is my prediction. As for the Eagles and the Vikings, I think that this is a very interesting matchup. Two NFC teams that are solidified teams that can be considered dark horses to win the Super Bowl. I'm expecting a low-scoring affair in this game. I think that the Eagles' defense is going to contain the receiving core of the Vikings with Jefferson and Thielen and company. The same goes for the other side of the ball. I think that the Vikings are going to try their best to contain Jalen Hurts on the run and expanding outside of the pocket. I'm going to predict an Eagles victory at home. Final score is 17-14. I'm interested to see how Dalvin Cook will play in this game because I think that they really have to rely on him at times when the receiving core isn't available or having a tough time producing. We know a couple seasons ago he was going off in every form. Fantasy owners were loving him as they should, but last year he struggled. 
Week one, he didn't really do much. We have to see how he's going to produce throughout the rest of these games. We know how good he was two seasons ago. I think in order for them to be good and to be more to be a more diverse offense, they need to give him the ball more often and lean on him to convert on downs on a consistent basis. Those are my predictions for Monday night. Let's see how wrong I ended up being. Okay, record scratch, freeze frame. I went back to this recording. This is now Tuesday morning because I wanted to see how my takes shaped out for these games. And honestly, pretty good. Not that bad. Um, Kirk Cousins, now 2-10 and 10 on Monday Night Football. You really can't trust him in big moments. If you want to be a, a serious contender in the Super Bowl, I don't know if I can trust this guy at quarterback. In the limelight, he's not the guy. And I think we saw that last night against the Eagles, who are now solidified. I mean, they could be the best team in the NFC in the NFC right now. Jalen looks crazy good. I think they could even be Super Bowl contenders. I saw people online talking about them. It's people taking futures on the Eagles. Everyone's raving about the Eagles, and I think that they should be. He looks great. Jalen looks outstanding. He is rushing outside of the pocket, running with force, throwing the ball accurately. The addition of A.J. Brown, their defense, on all cylinders. They look like a very legitimate team in the NFL right now. As for the other game, Titans and Bills, I mean, this was just a blowout. This was just, I, I, I thought it would be a blowout. This was completely blown wide open. The best thing that ever happened to Josh Allen was the Bills trading for Stephon Diggs. I mean, his passer rating before Stephon Diggs, what was it, like 58? It's like 69 now. It has skyrocketed with him on the team, and he's so reliable in every single way. We saw that last night. He was going off. He was getting targeted. I think he had three touchdowns on the night, 140 yards, 12 receptions. I mean, he he's legitimate. We know what he can do. And then with Gabe Davis on the field, he's also another weapon. But if you don't have him in a game situation, you're fine with just having Stephon Dix. He is that reliable. He really is. Another factor, I really don't know why people – at some times we're questioning Ken Dorsey at the offensive coordinator position. I mean, he was the he he was Josh Allen's quarterback coach for 3 seasons with with Allen. He was there for 3 seasons. Learned under Brian Dable who's now with the Giants as we know. So, I really wasn't worried about that chemistry at all. I was not worried about that connection that they had together. And when you look at the Tennessee Titans, you have to seriously explore moving on from Ryan Tannehill. He looks awful. He was throwing picks left and right. Didn't look good. Didn't look locked in. Malik Willis, when he came in, looked better than him. I understand you were down, what was it, 41-7 to at that point. But you have to start exploring that option. He's getting older. Derrick Henry didn't get as many carries last night. Wasn't running the ball that well. I'm I'm very worried about the Tennessee Titans. They're, they are becoming, right now, one of the bottom feeders of the NFL at this moment and they could turn things around we know Vrabel is a pretty good coach so we'll just have to stay patient I don't want to overextend myself I don't want to have a early week two overreaction but they definitely don't look good right now they are 0-2 on the season so we'll have to see what they do moving forward okay guys I'm excited about this bit 
I've been debating with my friends what are the best NFL broadcasts and where do you rank them? So I'm going to give my rankings from bottom to top. Lots of factors go into these NFL broadcast rankings, not just simple things. I mean, you have to think about the theme music, the score bug, the announcers, the commentators, graphics, so many different things and elements that go into this. So we're going to start at five. There's five different broadcasts I'm going to talk about. We're going to start at number five, go in descending order all the way up to one. I feel like that's the best way to do it. Coming in last place on my NFL broadcast rankings is ESPN. I've honestly never really enjoyed Monday Night Football broadcasts, to be blunt with you. The matchups usually aren't that great. I feel like it's usually uh, pretty much a blowout in every single game that I've seen over the last few seasons. But I will say that they upgraded their game by adding Joe Buck and Troy Aikman to the booth. Everybody loves them. They were great on Fox. It's honestly really weird to see them not on the Fox broadcast anymore, but they are legends. So got to give props there. Everybody raves about the Monday Night Football theme song. But I think it's honestly pretty mediocre at best. And going back to Buck and Aikman, I mean, in the first broadcast against Seattle and the Broncos, I could barely even hear them on the broadcast. I don't know if anyone else had that problem, but I don't know. Not very good on my end. Also, their score bug is by far the worst. So bottom five, they are definitely the worst broadcast. So respectfully, I'm going to put them in last place. Coming in fourth place, I have CBS. They used to be higher on my rankings, especially right when Tony Romo started calling games. But then he started kind of getting on my nerves. I think the majority of the population of football fans can agree with me here. He is too much for me sometimes when I'm watching games. Talks way too much between every play call. Always predicting the outcome of a play call. We understand. We get it, man. You played quarterback for several years in the NFL. You want to be right about everything. So I'm going to deduct a point there in that respect. The music is pretty decent, but what takes away that point is the dated score bug, which I feel like CBS needs to step up their game with. I feel like the score bug looks like it was made for like a 2015 playoff game. So that bothers me. It's also weird when someone like Kevin Harlan and Greg Gumbel are calling football games because I'm so used to hearing them call basketball games. And in Gumbel's case, I only want to hear his voice when it's time for the NCAA selection show for March Madness. So all that throws me for a loop at times. So I'm going to put CBS in fourth. In third place, I have Fox broadcast simply because I grew up watching the Fox broadcast as a Panthers fan. I know a lot of NFC teams are on Fox. I know the NFC South especially is on Fox. I love the cartoon graphics they have for their players whenever they score a touchdown, even if it's a childish thing to think about. But for me, for some reason, I just love the cartoons when they come up and they, and they, and they score a touchdown. That's just, I think it's hilarious. Don't make fun of me. I think other people would agree with me there. I know other people like that. Not to mention they have the best music. Gets me absolutely pumped up whenever I hear that theme song on Sunday mornings after a long night. Oh, and Greg Olson calls games for them now. So it's a wrap whenever he's on the booth. Greg Olson, Panthers legend. That's definitely points for them. So Fox comes in third on my broadcast rankings. Number two could come as a bold take here after only watching one stream of their history. But the Amazon broadcast on Thursday they were excellent. They are number two on my rankings. The theme song isn't that great, but 
the entertainers they have on that broadcast outweighs everything else. I mean, you have Richard Sherman, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Al Michaels, who I totally miss having him on the NBC broadcast. You forget how about how good he is when you hear him somewhere else. Kirk Herbstreet is a little bit weird. It's weird hearing him call NFL games instead of uh, college football, obviously. But I felt like Al Michaels and them had some good chemistry. And that lineup is absolutely stacked when you think about the Amazon crew. It's like the 2017 Warriors. So that score bug is amazing, too. Uh, they did their thing with that. Just how vibrant and colorful the graphics are. It's sleek. It's modern. They absolutely went all out for the stream. So shout out to Jeff Bezos. That's why they get the two slot for me. And then coming in at number one, I have NBC, uh, home of Sunday Night Football. Two words, Chris Collingsworth, the best to ever do it. I mean, the slide in, always undefeated. I know Al Michaels left for Amazon, but you still have Mike Tirico. He's great, great play caller, great commentator. Almost more important than Collingsworth is the intro of Sunday Night Football. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Waiting all day for Sunday night with Carrie Underwood, undefeated in every form. I think everyone can agree with me there. So watching football on Sunday night with that broadcast, with that theme music, never gets old. Always a good matchup on Sunday night football as well. I mean, you can make a debate sometimes. It's not that great, but I just love it. NBC is going to be number one forever. So number one belongs to NBC. Please respect my opinion. We have some exciting matchups for week four of the college football season that I want to preview and give predictions for for you guys. So let's start with perhaps an ACC championship preview between Clemson and Wake Forest. Clemson currently fifth in the AP poll. Wake is 21st in the AP poll. This game will be played at Wake Forest, and I'm going to call it. I'm going to call the upset here. Everybody, you heard it here first. Wake Forest is going to upset Clemson. This Saturday, calling it now, Sam Hartman, one of the best to ever do it at that university, is going to lead this Demon Deacon team to a victory over Clemson and Dabo Sweeney. I know this is a bold take, especially considering Liberty almost took the win over Wake Forest this week, but I feel like this is the sort of thing that always happens in college football, where a team barely escapes or even gets upset by a team the week before, and then almost always, they have next week, they have a big-time matchup at home when everyone is counting them out, and the home team comes out and proves everybody wrong. We saw this example specifically this weekend with Texas A&M defeating Miami after losing to App State at home. I still don't believe in Clemson. Still don't believe in them at this point, and I think they'll be seriously tested against Hartman, who is now the career passing leader for Wake Forest. I think he can carry load for this team. I do think that Wake Forest needs to establish a run game at some point in time if they seriously want to climb the rankings like they did last season. But Wake Forest, talk about a program that's been stepping up their game over the last few years. I don't think anybody would have taken them seriously. I think five years ago, if you had said that Wake Forest is going to be a, a legitimate program in the ACC, I think a lot of people would have laughed at you. I mean, they were pretty comparable to Duke at some point. Wake Forest. Calling the upset. You heard it here first. Another game to look forward to is Florida traveling to Tennessee to play in a top 20 matchup. Tennessee, interesting, favored by 10.5 in this game, which honestly shocks me. And I'm going to come across as a total hater here, which I am. But 
What has Tennessee done this season that propelled them to a top 11 team in the nation? Seriously, you beat an overrated Pitt team in overtime on the road and then beat up on Ball State and Akron, and all of a sudden you jump to 11. I'm pretty sure they started, what, at 25 this year? I feel like something isn't right based on studying that line and seeing them jump up to 11 so fast. My gut is conflicted on this because on one hand, that formula of them moving up so quickly seems so suspect to me. And then on the other hand, Florida struggles on the road. And I don't believe in Anthony Richardson after their performance versus South Florida, even at home. So both of these teams are very suspect, but I think Tennessee will get the win here. But I have Florida covering the spread based on the fact that this is a rivalry game. Both of these teams are pretty streaky, but even more so Anthony Richardson tells me he could show up for a big game. He seems to do that at times. You talk about Alabama last year. You talk about Utah this year. It seems like he shows up for these big games. So who knows? I think that Tennessee will get the win. But again, I think that the line of 10.5 is too high. If you are going to bet on Tennessee, I would take them at an alternate spread at 9.5 instead of 10.5. Don't see them winning by more than 10. So that would be my call. Maybe you can get them at 8 or so. We'll see how the lines change over the course of the week. But that's an interesting game to keep an eye on for sure. Finally, another SEC matchup. This is the game I'm most excited to watch this weekend. Arkansas, Texas A&M. Another ranked matchup here. Big rivalry as well. I don't know if they're going to be playing in Jerry World this year. I don't know if it's a neutral site again or if it will be at Texas A&M or at Arkansas. Either way, I, if I'm betting on this game, I'm going to take Arkansas plus two and a half. I've been high on them all year long. As you guys know, if you've been listening, I think that A&M is literally all over the place. And Arkansas is too reliable to bet against. The SEC West, talk about a bloodbath. And a game like this can have serious implications for a team like Arkansas if they want to run the table and take this serious and go far in the West, compete against Alabama for that title. This is a huge game for them. They have to play A&M this week, and then they will host Alabama at home next week. So if they win this game, that would set up a lot of momentum for them to host a top 10 matchup at their home stadium against Alabama, which obviously scares me. A team like that, I don't want to see that kind of momentum with that squad as they beat Texas A&M and then host us at their place. A team I haven't mentioned in the SEC, who is also just rolling right now, is Georgia. And I think they're a really scary team that needs to be credited more. They are legit. They are a legit team. They scare me. And I understand they beat up on South Carolina this weekend, but they really have no error right now. I have they, they, they haven't even been tested. And we thought that Oregon game was going to be a lot closer than it was. They blew them out of the water. Blew them out of the water. I'm not saying that this Georgia team is going to be historically great. I'm not saying that this Georgia team is even going to win the SEC. I still believe Alabama is going to win the SEC. But you can right now, at this very moment, expect to see them in Atlanta in the SEC championship game. And they're going to be ready to play. I think that even though they are the champions of last year, the national champions didn't win the SEC last year, but 
they have a major chip on their shoulder. I think Kirby Smart is telling these guys, hey, no one believes in you right now. Nobody believes in you. And I think they're definitely playing that way. So got to look out for Georgia. Can't take them lightly. We know they're number one in the country. No one's going to take them lightly, but I feel like they're not getting the respect that they deserve at this moment. All right, to finish up the show, I'm going to take a trip around the world of sports in five minutes. This is a new bit for you guys. And we begin with Trey Lance breaking his ankle against the Seahawks on Sunday. Obviously, huge blow for them in the public eye. But as many of you know, I'm a Jimmy G stan. And I think that the Niners' odds of winning the Super Bowl, making a deep playoff run, just increased with him leading this team due to the experience he has. I saw something online about how Jimmy G's new contract, he's going to get all of this added money with his contract, but I think he gets like 250K per win, something crazy like that. And I think it's another 100K per playoff win. So good for him. And not to be too blunt here, but what has Trey Lance done? Before his injury, everybody was hyping him up for no reason. And I was somebody who said, I'm going to buy stock in Trey Lance, but I was definitely not somebody who said, oh, Trey Lance, dark horse for MVP this year. People were calling him an MVP candidate out of nowhere after one year at North Dakota State University in 2019. Didn't even play in 2020, the COVID year. Didn't even play that much last year. He was moving on way too fast. And I don't know where all that hype came from, Hopefully, he can get better soon. Just don't really know what his future is going to be like. Don't really know. Say that the San Francisco 49ers make a little bit of a deep playoff run this year. Say they go to the NFC Championship game again. What does that mean for Jimmy G's future in San Francisco? Is he going to move on? Are they going to stick with him? Don't know what, his, what Trey Lance's recovery is going to be like. That's going to be probably the most interesting offseason development to keep an eye on during this NFL season. Next, we head to the MLB. Aaron Judge is at 59 home runs and is now within two home runs of the American League record. Just insane what this guy is able to do whenever he swings. Looks like he's barely even putting any effort into it. He's just a freak of nature. The Yankees are finally rolling out the wins again. They have 88 wins on the year. Look to be running away with the AL East title. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to do in the postseason. And... We'll have to see if he's finally going to be a hero in the postseason that they've been longing for. He has not produced that well in the postseason so far. Maybe this year can be different. Excited to see some good matchups in the postseason. Hoping that they run into the Houston Astros in the postseason. Rivalry renewed. Want to see a slugger-fest going on between him and Altuve. So excited for the development there with the Yankees. Las Vegas Aces have won the WNBA title, defeating the Connecticut Sun, and have brought the first title to Las Vegas before the Raiders and the Golden Knights. Obviously, a huge accomplishment for Aja Wilson and Becky Hammond, who, by the way, needs to be considered for a head coaching position in the NBA. She is better than probably a third of the coaches in the NBA right now. Um, Her knowledge of the game is absolutely astonishing, and now she has proven her glory at the highest level with the respect of the WNBA. So when you think about the success of professional basketball in the city of Las Vegas, you got to wonder when they're going to bring a team to Las Vegas, an NBA team. And I believe LeBron James is going to be the one to do that. 
I'm pretty sure he's been on the record of saying that he really wants to bring a team to Las Vegas. It's something he hopes to accomplish. I think Las Vegas is becoming the next great sports town. The Aces just won a title. The Raiders are on the rise with their new offensive weapons and coach. The Knights have been to the Stanley Cup final before. I think with an addition of an NBA team, it could definitely happen. So Las Vegas, I'm going to make a prediction here. Next great sports city within the next 10 years. Finally, Herm Edwards has been fired by Arizona State following their tough loss to Eastern Michigan. Hate to say it, but we need that guy back on television. He is such a great media personality, and I miss watching him react to all the games and highlights that occur on a weekly basis in the NFL and in college football, and just having him featured on SportsCenter. Seems like a great guy, and I think he's done with coaching after the Senate Arizona State. Maybe he could explore a, a coaching position in the NFL, but I think that's highly unlikely, and we'll probably be back in the media soon. And that is your dose of sports around the world in five minutes. All right, guys, thank you so much again for tuning into this episode of On The Deal Podcast. There's so much great content coming up in the future. Make sure you follow the Instagram page if you haven't already for more updates from me, and we will be back with another episode next week.